Listen to this. Zakawani, the flying winger. Here's Brad Evans. It's Steve. It's Steve. Who is it? It's Brad Evans. <laughs> Happy days are here again. Turning with a drive. It's Steve Zakawani. Evans with the left foot. He's an attacking threat, Brad Evans. This is so weird. The party has started. What's up, everyone? Welcome once again to Winging It with Zach and Brad. The sound is coming off a disappointing loss to the Portland Timbers. We'll touch a little bit on that and then previewing the game this Sunday as the Sounders face the LA Galaxy, trying to get back on track and keep their pursuit of the number one spot in the Western Conference standings. We'd like to say we're joined this week by a man who helped bring the first MLS Cup here to Seattle, Hercules Gomez. Herc, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, boys. How you doing? It's good to see you guys. Bro, honestly, it looks like you're morphing into Alejandro Moreno right now because you got the, like, <laughs> haircut is, like, all tight. Why would you say that? Because I want, I want to see you with, like, more hair. You're looking so clean cut Dude, like this I, guy. I can't – well, I could grow it out like you, but be a really bad look. And my wife won't let me go get a haircut, so I have to <laughs> – actually, my three-year-old daughter helped me do this. So this is as good as it gets, man. Uh, <laughs> okay, I, w- I want to get your thoughts and also Brad as well on the Sounders team. It's not just Sunday's game, but this rivalry because it's gone really weird because yeah. Seattle went to Portland and beat them 3-0. Then the Timbers came up here and won 2-1. Then on Sunday, some normalcy was resumed because the home team actually won. But the Sounders could have easily been 4-5-1 up at halftime. Like it, it looked that easy. Then there were adjustments made. So the point I want to get to is the Sounders have lost three games this season. In all three losses, they've had close to 70% of the board and have struggled to create chances when teams sit deep yeah. and take away space for Jordan to run into and for Nico to play into. So one, how can they solve that problem? And then two, because we haven't spoken to you in a while, just your general thoughts on the 2020 Sounders team. Well, first, they, they lost uh, two of those times to the Portland Timbers, their, their main rivals. So uh, usually in a rivalry game, all tactics, all storyboards or storylines, I should say, go out the window. You, you guys have played in these type of games. You know what it's all about. Oftentimes, the home team will win. I found it kind of strange that the first go-around, it was the Sounders that took it to them, you know, at Portland. The second go-around, it was Portland who took it to Seattle. So I don't hold too much stock in those games and what they actually mean because I think they're completely different. And, and you guys uh, know what it's like playing in those games. As far as the Sounders, I'm not worried one bit about Seattle. I, I think Seattle's shown to consistently be one of the better teams in Major League Soccer. Uh, whatever they have thrown their way. Now, it's usually the Sounders sitting deep and exploiting those spaces, a la the way they did in the Western Conference Final last year against LAFC, and then the way they've done it many a times this year. Uh, and even though teams know it's coming, they know that Jordan Morris is looking for that space to exploit in behind, and uh, Nico Ladero wants to operate within those lines and have the freedom to kind of run at guys and pull the strings at will. Oftentimes, when you see them actually come, you can't do anything. You're emotionally paralyzed at, at what's going on. So uh, this Seattle team, to me, the Seattle team is it's it's pretty much on par with what I've seen over the years, so it doesn't really worry me. Uh, I think if anything, I'm surprised at the way they've been and able to handle 
pretty much anything thrown their way. Uh, Brad and I, we thought Raul Ruiz Diaz was pretty much out for the season when he came out against LAFC. And, and you know, he's back the next game. He's kicking it about. He's scoring goals. He's doing what he does. Uh, Gustav Svensson, you know, leaves on international duty, comes back, and somebody else steps in. It's, it's Jovan Jones, whether he's playing left back or he's playing a more advanced position. No, Hutolo, the same thing. They just seem to find ways. I just think this Seattle team is tried and, 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 you know, battle kind of ready. They've, they've been there. They've done that. So it doesn't really surprise me where they're at. And like I said, you talk about the games they lost this season. I don't hold too much stock on that. I think, Brad, are you worried? Yeah, no, no, not at all. I mean, watch, watching the game, I, you know, this was different, Steve. When, when we watched the game against LAFC in that final game of the MLS's back tournament, I think that there was some worry there. We did the podcast. We, we kind of spoke in depth and we probably took some slack from the coaching staff too, because they listen to what we're saying. Right. <laughs> and at that time they weren't playing well defensively, um, offensively, nothing was going right. They had, you know, the group games, they got some points and, and that was fine, but they got smoked by LAFC. And then they come back from that and completely flip the script. And that run since then has been, you know, one of the best in MLS. You're telling me they start off slow, Brad. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, the thing was, is I think we did this, right? We said that on, it was like June 16th every year or something like that is when yeah. the Sounders tend to flip exactly. the script. And that was the start of that tournament. So the LAFC game was, was a bit of a shamble. Um, but then they come back and, and they get on this run. And now, and now it looks like the Sounders team of old. And, and I watch the two losses seem different. And when you're a player, you guys know that. When you're in a game against LAFC down in Orlando and you're getting smoked, you're, your head's turned. You're like, wait, yeah. what's going on here, right? But this game in Portland, I thought that they took it to Portland for the, for the better part of the game. And they had chances to score, which they didn't create, you know, two months ago. So not yeah. worried about this result uh, at all. I don't think the players are. I'd really, it's a rivalry game. That's, that's the bummer, right? Because I think the players take stock in it, but the fans probably take more stock in that one. Right. Um, but looking back, I mean, how many times have we won four, one down there four two? um, you know, I think there's always been lopsided results in these rivalry games, especially against Portland, but I think this team is fine. Um, but you know, there's, there's small little issues that we can discuss consistency from a couple positions, but other than that, I think, you know, that they're in a good spot. Um, are you, are you guys at all concerned? Cause I said they were, I said the team was stacked. I thought there were three weaknesses. One was playing against teams that sit very deep, take space away. Two, I thought that the left-hand side, you've got it figured out. The right-hand side has been a revolving door. Shannon Opia, Andualo Buono, Miguel Libara, Jovin Jones, Christian Rodon. They haven't consistently got someone there. With Brad Smith coming, I felt, okay, they're going all in on Jovin Jones. That's going to be his role. He can be that balance to Jordan's side. Then I thought the third weakness was centre-back. Yamar looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Ariaga's playing well. And Shane O'Neill, I think, is playing better than I expected. But should Yamar get injured in an extended run against the top teams in the playoffs, do I trust Ariaga and O'Neill to the degree that I once trusted any combo of Roman Torres fully fit and motivated, Kim Kihi, Chad Marshall? I don't. So I think centre-back is the one area I think they cannot afford an injury to Yamar. Curious for your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I even think with them healthy, there's still some question marks there. I, I think that's the weakness of the Seattle Sounders team and, and maybe a lot of different MLS teams. I mean, because the bar is set so high, because you have the Chad Marshalls of the world there, you know, three-time MLS Defender of the Year, uh, before it's all said and done, that, that trophy will be named after him. You had, you know, uh, guys like Roman Torres, who's uh, an idol in Seattle, who's a cult hero, if you will. You had 
Kim Ki-hee, who comes in, does more than an adequate job. Uh, to all of a sudden go with Gomez Andrade and, and Arriaga and the way they underperformed and underwhelmed at times. You know, I'm not so much worried about the right-hand side because you guys have seen Seattle throughout the years where that's been a revolving door and it's been a kind of, you know, take your pick of who's going to be in there, who's going to be that puzzle of the moment or that flavor of the month, if you will. At times, Harry Ship was a player that was playing there and playing extremely well. You know, uh, Jovan Jones can do that job. You know, Christian Roldan, if need be, could do that job. I'm not so much worried about that position as I am for Seattle when it comes to the center backs. I don't feel that these center backs are in a position with some of the MLS elites. 1v1 have A, the experience in the league, and B, the capacity to stay with some of these players. That is the one position that is a partnership, if you will, because you can have a player who may be not up to snuff, but if you cover him the right way that the Seattle Sounders have always been able to do, you can get away with it. That's my one position of weakness right there. Yeah, I think they're both really – I think all three are, are good center backs. Um, but if you talk about I – think, I think this is the biggest point is experience in this league. This league is completely different from every other league. Hurt, you, you, you've played in multiple leagues. Steve, you grew up playing in a different country, right? You know that this league is different. So no matter how good you are, you have to get those games underneath your belt. And I've seen um, Yamar do it better than all three. And, and he is, you know, a designated player, right? And so he should be that cop caliber of, of center back. And he's done that. Um, I think that they'll get there. I, th- I think they're getting close defensively. The past four or five games have, have been much better from the back line. Um, yeah. But I still think that that right midfield position – this, this team has all the attacking prowess. And if you can really solidify that right mid position, then the two center backs, they're only going to have to make three or four yeah. plays a game. And if they can do that, then that's fine. So leave, leave the guys forward and let them do their thing. But Joven performed insanely well against San Jose, came back and kind of had a iffy game. He didn't perform as, as probably well as he'd like, but he did okay now in Portland, but then comes off injured. So who knows who fills in there? That's probably the biggest question mark. But like you said, when teams sit back, that's when service, good quality service has to come in. Kelvin can do it. Nuhu's still got to get there. So I think Brad puts himself uh, into a good position playing that left back position and, and um, you know, getting some quality service when he steps into games. I guess the proof is in the pudding. We'll see when he gets on the field. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, we're going to get to the preview in the LA Galaxy game. I definitely want Herc's foot on Chicharito because I had what they called a hot take, I guess, this week. But we'll get to that. But I want to touch on a few things around the league. Surely, surely Matthias Almeida has to go. Now, I love the guy. And what he did last season was amazing. I came into the season saying, San Jose is my dark horse. Like, they probably won't win the West. But if an outside team could win, I think then he shocked us with his tactics. I'd seen him at Chivas. But, I mean, you can't give up seven, six, five. You, you, what's going on, Herc? Seven, six, five, four. <laughs> Uh, he's had this September, uh, and it's going to get worse. They face LAFC this Sunday, and LAFC just dropped six on Vancouver, four in the first 15 minutes, I think, something like that. Ridiculous. Uh, what makes him so great as a coach is he makes players believe. And you guys know very well, once you stop believing, that's a dangerous thing. If you say, okay, we don't have the greatest team on earth our roster isn't you know built on money we've got guys who may be under the radar but we're playing well together and we're playing with belief so all of a sudden this very fun style because you saw an MLS's back this this man marking system all over the field that's big on transition big on fitness 
when teams are trying to get their legs underneath them, when teams are trying to figure themselves out tactically and you can take it at them, it's almost like a fight, you know, like a heavyweight fight. The more you can kind of connect on the chin, the better chance you've got of wearing these guys down. But all of a sudden, like a fight, that counter, that counter is what really hurts him because all of a sudden, and you saw it, Jordan Morris in the game that they completely wiped the floor with San Jose. Jordan Morris from the left-hand side receives and turns Jungworth and then proceeds to make about a 40 to 50-yard run and nobody's on him. Nobody steps to him. It's like Jungworth, that's his man. That's his responsibility. And it's the parting of the Red Sea. It's been that game for them every single game in September. I think at this point, this message that he keeps trying to relay to these players is done. It's worn on them. And it's mental because some of these players have been there in this position last season and they played. So it's not what Matias Almeida says. I don't have time to tactically work with my team. Neither does Vancouver, neither does Seattle, neither does Portland. And they're not getting blown out by six, seven goals a game. It's, it's interesting to me because how, how, how long until they make a change, do you think? Is it a situation where it's the coach or is it the GM that's been there for Jesse four Perinelli. years now? Exactly. That, that, that can't make the right moves and can't or doesn't want to make the right moves, whatever it may be. Who goes first? Is it a GM that gets ousted or is it the coach? Well, in this case, because the coach is worth more uh, and you're on the hook for four years of salary and he's a very, I guess, what's the word, sought after coach in Latin, Amer- Latin America, uh, I would say it's Jesse Farinelli. Uh, he's, it's not the first uh, time he's gotten it wrong. Listen, Matias Almeida is there to kind of move the pieces, but you've got to give them the pieces. They took away their best player and Eric Magnuson, or Gustav, or Magnuson I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't just say, I'm taking away your players, keep playing the way you're gonna, you know, you've been playing. That's not how it works. So a little bit more leash, I would say, on what is Matias Almeida, but Jesse Farinelli, since he's been in the league, he's got it completely wrong. Is this the difference? Sorry, Steve. Is this the difference between what Herc was saying earlier that Sounders you can start slow but finish strong because historically you've made the playoffs for ten years. So is it this quiet confidence that the group has that carries throughout the season? Whereas San Jose has had this turnover after turnover, players, coaches, GM. Where even if it's a great style of play and they've got decent players, they just can't piece it together because culturally within that club. They just don't have the, the wherewithal yeah, I, to get it done? Yeah, I mean, the two of you were there for 2016 MLS Cup, and there's still a handful of guys who are still there. Like, Nico was a key part of that. I think Jordan and Christian were there by then. Joven scored a penalty. So you have guys who, in their DNA, um, what this club means. I mean, on the bench, Schmetz is a sounders guy. Gonzo Pineda played. So I think you do have sort of this DNA and belief of knowing how to get it done, which I think is one of the hardest things to do in MLS is getting a group of players who, and it's hard because... I was watching even like the New York Red Bulls, for example. And for a couple of years ago, I mean, they looked fantastic. Jesse Marshall's there. They looked like a, a New York team should look. And now they look terrible. So it's like there is credit to be given to the Sounders. The consistency is not easy. And I think a large part of it is we've never really had a mass exodus of players. It's always been mm-hmm. one or two every year. And they, for the most part, have got the players. Yeah, that, but that in. culture uh, that Brad touches upon, I think, is very important because yeah. you guys can talk about the players who are left over. But if you look within that locker room, the coaching staff, you know, the medical trainers, everybody who's still within that locker room, they're part of that culture too. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at San Jose and you talk about this player turnover, I'd argue that's one of the biggest failures in Major League Soccer. Um, Without a doubt, you look at a generational talent like Chris Wondolowski, and you could say whatever you want about the one big miss he had at the World Cup. But when we're talking about in terms of Major League Soccer, he is 
by far the biggest talent that's gone to waste in Major League Soccer, and he's the leading goal scorer in this league's history. And I say that because with that plethora of goals and the player that he is and, and, and how charismatic he is and how much of a team player he is and how much of a leader he is, what have you gotten out of San Jose for mm. Chris Wondolowski? Mm. He's been there for better part of a decade, and you have two playoff appearances. It's the biggest waste of a generation yeah. of talent that I've seen in this league. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a very great point. Um, as we slowly transition to, to, to Sunday, Sound is going away to LA Galaxy, who a month ago looked unstoppable, winning six games or so. Then the big star comes back, and all of a sudden they look clueless again. And here's my, my take on it. So when Zlatan signed, I said he wouldn't do well in MLS because I didn't see the service was there. What I underestimated was just how ridiculous he was. Just, just, he, he didn't need service to do what he was doing. So he ends up scoring like 55 goals in 55 games, something insane. With Chicharito, I said the same thing, and I feel I'm more right, because he's not a Zlatan-type player. Now, I've watched them, and Pavon is the real deal. He's here. He can be an MVP-type player in MLS. When Chicharito's not playing, as soon as Chicharito's back there, Pavon looks different to me. I don't understand. He's trying to defer. He's trying to find him. He doesn't look as free. So my take right now is that the Galaxy right now are better without Javier Hernandez, Chicharito. They're better without him. Ultimately, when they figure it out, they'll be better with him. But right now, I don't think they figured out how to find his movements, how to play with him, right or wrong. Yeah, it's hard to argue. The numbers are there. Ethan Zubak has been playing when he's been absent, and he's not exactly been lighting up the scoreboard. He's got one goal, which he scored against LAFC. But it's his movement. It's his contagious energy. It's the way that he actually defends for the group that have helped out the LA Galaxy. And most likely, most uh, I should say, uh, more than anybody, it's Christian Pavone, who's really coming into his own. I don't think it's any secret that a player who played in last the last World Cup for Argentina, is a very good player. He's a player who relies on movement. He's a player who relies on the movement of others that help him create that space. And because of Christian Pavone, I would throw out another name out there. It's, it's Sebastian Legette. Sebastian Legette's been one of the better players in Major League Soccer, you know, while they were winning. So as this movement got better for the LA Galaxy and they started to win games, Sebastian Legette started coming into his own. For me, it's circumstantial everything that's going on with Chicharito Hernandez because he comes in with a ton of pressure. He's, you know, not really fit. He plays, he misses a penalty, then he scores, but then he goes out injured and he was out for about a month and a half and he's trying to come back and kind of gain time, win time, but he's not physically fit. And you can see it. I called their last game for Latin America when they played against Salt Lake. He was a cone out there. For as much as he tried physically, he doesn't have the capacity or the capability right now of playing 90 minutes. But the thing is, the only way to get there is to play those 90 minutes. But they definitely are a different team without his movement, without his prestige, with, ah, how should I say it? Without his unique set of qualities that he can actually do that make him different from anybody else in this league when he's not able to move that way he's he's not doing anything for the LA Galaxy so would you say you talk about his movement the way that he wants to play would you liken him mostly to, to like a Chris Wondolowski yes. the way that he likes to play Absolutely. That, that's the first thing that comes to my mind oh, Chris is, yeah yeah that's, that's I think Chris, Chris is probably the most fit guy in the league. Wondolowski is probably the fittest guy in the league. And, and you could fight me this, but this guy could run for days, right? Yeah. And if you play that way and Chris has been successful, and if you can't play the way you want to play, your body won't let you, you're not going to find the results because it's all about poaching at that point and pestering and, and the constant pressure. Mm. And when you can't do that, Chicharito wants to make center backs make mistakes 
And physically, when you can't do that, you don't have the capacity to do it, you tend to look like a cone. Yeah, that's it's a great example of unbelievable movement in any league. I don't care if it's Major League Soccer. Chris Wondolowski is terrific with it. I don't, do you guys remember? This was probably like four years ago. It was the MLS All Stars versus Chelsea, and it was uh, John Terry at yeah. halftime, you know, and he's telling Chris Wondolowski how incredible his movement mm-hmm. is and how difficult it is for, to, to, to mark him with his movement. That's Chicharito Hernandez. Chicharito Hernandez just did all this with the biggest of teams in the world. You know, that yep. Sir Alex Ferguson, Manchester United team that won the Premier League. You know, that, 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 uh, that team in Real Madrid with Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, he was uh, the foreign player of the year at Leverkusen uh, while he was in the Bundesliga. Uh, he's got all these great just attributes about him. And he's 32 years old. He's by no means done. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. If he's not physically fit, he can't show that movement. He's not going to be good for the team. But the only way, the only way you can get him there is by playing him. Yep. Okay. So you, you, you watch them against Salt Lake. Obviously, you have a handle on the Sounders. What would be sort of your preview of the type of game we may see on Sunday, considering the Galaxy are at home this time? So there's a few doubts. Uh, one of them is uh, Yoni Gonzalez, and if he's going to be able to play, he's their new uh, player that's coming in on loan from Benfica. He's a winger, Colombian winger. He definitely changes the complexion of this game if he's ava- available. He's a quality player. You don't have a Cuello there, you know, an Emil Cuello. You now have, you know, a, a Colombian international who's played at the highest of levels. Uh, if Chicharito plays because he's rumored to – maybe missed the game for the birth of his child. Uh, his wife's pregnant right now. So that changes the complexion. If Ethan Zubak is there, you get a player with just a lot more fight, a lot more grit, a lot more sacrifice to the group. That changes. And Efrain Alvarez is a very good player. He didn't play that much against Salt Lake. He came on the last 15, 20 minutes. But if he's on the field, you get a more cerebral player to go along with Pavon, to go along with what is Sebastian Legette and that great moment he has right now. So this game changes completely with a few little switches or changes for the LA Galaxy. And it turns into more of a chess match for the Seattle Sounders because now, yes, you want to wait and you want to sit if these guys are there because they may be able to afford you some spaces. But if they're not there, you if they're not there, excuse me, you have to put your foot on the pedal and you have to be the one who's more of the aggressor. Mm. Brad, what do you see from this game? Um these are always tough ones. This, this was a place that I did not like playing, L.A. We, we always found it tough to play at the Galaxy. And yeah. it's a different team now. It's a different dynamic. Uh, but still, I, th- I think it's a team that's hungry. You never want to play a team when they haven't gotten a result in the past three or four games, especially going to their place. So the Sounders have to be extremely smart defensively. Um, that will be the key here. If, if they make the decision to sit back, I think that will benefit them in this game and really utilize Raul, leave Raul up top because he can be a one, like a one hit wonder sometimes, right? You, You don't see him. And then all of a sudden he pops up with a goal. So don't, don't rely too much on him early on. Let him do his thing. Let him find his rhythm. Um, I'd I'd say the second thing is don't let Nico run himself ragged. Uh, As these games start to stack up, the last thing you want to do is put too many miles on on Nico because with with seven days in between games, that's fine. But once you start playing three or four games in a row, that's where Nico needs to be smart. And like you said, be a more cerebral player in the middle of the park and and pick his moments also because the Galaxy will make you pay, uh, especially down in L.A. But – I'll, I, yeah. I, st- I still like I still like I still like the Sounders in this game. Um, if if they can, like Herc said, put the pedal to the metal and, and put these guys under pressure early on. You know, Brad. Uh, I, one thing that yeah. I think 
very valuable here is the movement of Raul Ruiz Diaz. Because while I was calling the game, the LA Galaxy versus Salt Lake, Daniel Steris and Nick DePay, they're very much bigger center backs who don't deal well with movement and get caught watching a lot. And Perry Kitchen in that game wasn't exactly doing them any favors. He was kind of leaving them out, you know, to dry. As Raul's movement gets better, he can really pick this, this team apart in the center back position. It, uh, real quick, is Jonathan Dos Santos, is it an injury problem? Because yeah, I haven't yes. seen him. He's been, it's been injury. Because, he's, coming okay. back, he's coming back from a hernia operation. That, that's why he didn't go to MLS's back. So he's working his way back to full fitness, but he's actually the biggest piece to the LA Galaxy puzzle because that team kind of goes with him. Um, Guillermo's, the, their coach, Barrescoloto, has mentioned that he's the most important player. He's the kind of heartbeat of the team. He's the one who protects them defensively, and he's the biggest piece of helping that team kind of construct and build out from the back. One more soundless question for both of you. I always think about this, and you two were fortunate to play with this guy. So I love Nico Lodero. I think he is... But he's not a traditional number 10. He's not going to sit like, I think, back to early in the year in, 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 the, in the league when people like Javier Morales, who would sit in the pocket, pull the strings, etc. Nico's going to run everywhere. And how is it when you're playing with him when you lose the ball? Because if Nico's supposed to be on the right or central, and then he's made a run to left back to play a long ball, or he's run to left wing, and the ball is lost, how do you adjust for filling the gaps he leaves defensively? Does that hurt the Sounders in any way? Or have they learned that this is Nico and we just have to fill in the gaps? I think Brad kind of mentioned it. You don't want Nico to run ragged, you know, to tire himself out. Yes, he's not the traditional number 10. But that's also what makes him great, what makes him good. Oftentimes you get these 10s who defensively aren't going to do much for you. Nico's a very much box-to-box type of player. He doesn't mind rolling the sleeves and getting dirty. But you don't want him necessarily having to do that. It's good when he does it, and it's contagious because you're saying if the best player on the team, if our DP is doing it, then everybody else has to do it. Look, I, I've been adamant about this. I don't know how, how you guys feel, but when the book is written on the Seattle Sounders, there will be a Nicolás Lodero chapter. He's, he's a yes. parting of the waters for this club. There's a before and after with Nico Lodero. Uh, he's just a player when the lights are on and it's the biggest of moments, the biggest of stages. He, that's what he's all about. You look at his curriculum, you look at his resume, everywhere he's been, he's won. There is a reason for this. It's the Nicolo Leto mentality. I think when you interviewed Christian a couple weeks ago, he said it as well. And Herc, when you're on the field, you can, you can testify to this. But if I'm playing right mid, I know that Jordan's on the left. We've got a striker up top and Nico in the middle. My job as a right mid is to provide service when needed and combine with my right back. But also, I know that when Nico goes forward, I have to be really smart and concise and, and pick my moments because, like you said, the last thing you want to do is for four players now to have to be chasing the ball backwards. It's one yeah. thing to have, you know, seven guys behind the ball, but if you can get eight or nine defensively, that just makes you better. And it, and it also provides recovery of the ball is key. And that will give Nico more of the ball. So instead yeah. of pushing four, five, six guys forward. Sometimes you have to hang out as a, as a right mid and let Nico do his thing because you know that he's going to make mistakes. Everyone does. But the sooner that you can recover the ball and get it back to him, that's where he's at his most dangerous is that transition play. So it's not traditional, but it's learning about the players around you. Like we said, that's what the center backs still have to do with this team. And once that gets done, this team will be you know flying uh, just like they always do towards the end of the season. Okay. Uh, before we go, 
let's hit a couple more things around the league. I want to get both of your thoughts on. I've I've written a few things for MLS and thought about this. At no point in this season have I been worried at zero point about LAFC. I don't know what it is. I think they scored too many goals for me to be concerned. I think as soon as Bob Bradley and Ante Razov and the guys down there work some magic and figure out whatever the hell's happening defensively, they're going to be back to winning every game 5-0. So I don't know. Am I right, wrong? Should we be concerned about this Uh, leaky defense? I know where you're going with this. I'm a little concerned just because Mm. you guys know what it's like. And Brad, you've been a defender in this league. You shouldn't necessarily have a lot of turnover in that defensive line. And there's been a lot of turnover. Walker Zimmerman leaves. Tyler Miller leaves. Stephen Betashore leaves. Jordan Harvey gets uh, less playing time because they want to give somebody else a chance. So now you have Diego Palacios on the left. You have, you know, uh, Djokovic who was brought in. To, you know, Dejan was brought in to be kind of a, an insurance policy. Not necessarily start. He's starting alongside Eddie Segura. Now you've got Tristan Blackman who's a converted, you know, winger right back all of a sudden. You know, Kinella, who's inside the middle now, he's not used to playing with this defensive line. Your probably most important player, not the best player, because that's Carlos Vela. And by the way, he's injured. But your most important player misses a huge chunk of the season in Edward Atuesta. The guy in that position, that, that, that defensive midfielder position, gives you that security, your security blanket, if you will. Their heartbeat, he's not there. So you couple all this I definitely can see why they're doing so poorly defensively. And when you're doing that poorly defensively, along, by the way, new goalkeeper who you brought in Vermeer, uh, he's not the solution. So you revert back to Pablo Cisniega, uh, who's not exactly the surest thing. So I'm not surprised by the problems. I do think Bob Bradley is a smart enough individual and coach to kind of protect that back line at times. But when you have players like Diego Palacios and you have guys like – Latif Blessing is playing the right back position a lot this season. And their main characteristics is to kind of join in that final third. You will leave yourself exposed with those center backs. Uh, Eddie Segura has had his hands full. I, I'm not surprised by LAFC. I am a tad worried about him. But that worry goes away once Atuesta is healthy, once Carlos Vela is healthy, uh, and the way Diego Rossi is playing. Yeah, so that'll go away. Yeah, I think they're kind of flying by the seat of their pants right now. I think they're, they are banking on scoring more goals than the opposition. And they played a terrible Vancouver team that's just been – they've been so bad. So when they play good teams, I think they'll get figured out. If They, they obviously can't do anything about their defensive situation right now. It's, it's too late in the season, right? So, And then you have a player just retire. So psychologically, how does that affect your locker room going into the end of the season? You, you lose a, a rostered player who maybe was good in the locker room um, and kind of rallying the guys, but to be leaking that many goals, I, it can't, it can't pay off. It can't pay off. No matter how good you are offensively, there will be a moment come the close of the season where teams will maybe not figure them out because they're still going to mm. score goals, but they'll be able to stay more solid defensively and expose that defense. I mean, Seattle figured them out last year in the yeah. Western Conference Final, and they, they kind of made or gave everybody that blueprint, you know. Uh, I think that was Ariaga's best game in a Seattle uniform, you know. They, yeah. they really gave them that blueprint of how to play against LAFC, and teams have used that against them. Yeah, absolutely right. I caught the wrath of Twitter. I said, if the U.S. men's national team had a World Cup Final tomorrow, and everybody was fit and healthy at number nine, and I'm the coach, Josie Altidore plays. And all I heard was, well, Zardes is scoring every week, and this guy's doing that, and Altidore's no good, and he's always this and that. Very few people actually came forward with a solution. Who plays instead? 
if Josie's fit and healthy, I know he's not been great this year. He has to play. So I don't know where you guys land on that, but I'm going to stick to my guns on that one. Yeah. What would I play? I'd play Josie. He gives you the best uh, opportunity to win. I think he's got the softest speed. He can involve other players who are your big and strongest players, I would say, on the team in that midfield. He provides him a chance to come into the final third uh, and combine. You want Christian Pulisic on the ball. You want Giovanni Reyna when he, you know, when Gio Reyna when he's finally with the U.S. Men's National Team. You want Adams, McKinney. You want those guys making the decisions. So, obviously, Josie gives you the best opportunity at that. I think he's going to play Jassy Sardis. He's just uh, who he believes in. Um, Jassy is a very good goal scorer. I don't think he's tried at the international level, but the only way to actually get that experience is by playing. Josie, for me, gives you the best opportunity to win, but I see Greg going with Jassy uh, Sardis. Yeah, I, this is a tough one for me. I mean, in form right now, Jassy. But Jassy's had over 50 caps, and he's only scored 12 goals for the national team. So hasn't always played as a nine, though. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, and maybe not the system that provides him the best chance to excel. That could be an argument as well. And maybe this is a better fit for him moving forward in Greg's system. Um, but I've never played with a more dominant striker than, than Josie. And I don't think that Josie has yet to really tip the scale and start to see that decline. I still think he is figuring out his game and how to evolve as a player and, and be successful Health would be number one, yeah. right? Yeah. That's going to be the biggest thing moving forward. If, if Josie can stay healthy, then that will be – that's the battle that you want in any team. You want two strikers going at it to, to battle for the, the – who's going to reign supreme as a, as a starting number nine. Um, I still – right now I start Giassi if, if there was a game next week. But if Josie's healthy, I go with Josie, mostly because I've played with him before and he's right. tried and true. Until yeah. he doesn't produce, then – maybe we start thinking about switching we're, things. We're right still right. two years away, if you think about it. I mean, Josh Sargent can come out of nowhere and yeah. be the guy that believes he can be, the goal scorer, the soft beat. You know, he's got a good brain on him. He's got good work ethic. He could be that complete player. We're still a ways away. But if it was tomorrow, my pick is Josie. I'm with Brad. Mm. Uh, last one before we go. I don't know when we'll all three have this conversation again. So I'm going to go all the way there and just get some predictions out of the way. Um, I don't see anyone catching the Columbus crew. They've conceded mm. five goals and were 13, 14 games of the season. They won't concede more than 10. They won't, they've lost two games or one game. They won't lose more than three or four. Again, is there an asterisk because they've played Cincinnati 20 times? I don't know. Yes. Some, some, people, some, some people have said that. I don't know. You have to be in front of you. But is that will the support shield winner this year have to have a massive asterisk, or can they openly hold that shield and celebrate with the fans? You cannot openly hold that shield and <laughs> celebrate. I know you got a soft spot for Akron, and you got a soft spot for, 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 for the guys down there. I know Darlington's boy, you know, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, you, you play in the East. It's an unbalanced schedule. It's a very atypical season. I wouldn't hold too much stock on what is the supporter shield. Uh, but they're a very good team. Lucas Alarayan has completely changed the dynamic. Darlington's playing at unreal level. Uh, they're about as dangerous as you can get. My only knock on them is they play in the East. Yeah, it's been poor. I, I, I think if I look back to 2014, winning the Supporters' Shield, that was way more difficult than what's happening right now, I think. Um, yeah. There's something to be said about a consistency of schedule that makes all the teams better, I think. And to have heaps and troughs and everything, I think, is unrealistic. Um, are there challenges to this year? Yes. Is it difficult? Yes. 
but I don't think it's as difficult as playing a full schedule consistently against other teams that are playing at their best most of the time. Um, I think MLS Cup is a little bit different because it's a tournament, right? So that is different to me. Once the tournament starts, then we can talk about was it the same as every other year, which if it's a tournament, why wouldn't it be – why wouldn't it be the same as every other year? So right. uh, supporter shield, I think you get a little star next to your name. You can you can take the bonus for all I care, but it doesn't mean as much to me. <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Last one here, Sunday. I'm going two one Seattle. You guys. This is tough because Brad brought up earlier how poor Seattle do in LA. I think I w- I think when I was with you guys, 2016, it was the first time that. Seattle had won in their history in Los Angeles. So second, yeah. It, yeah, it's something like it. So Brad, you know how this is. I remember for a long time when I was part of the Galaxy, Columbus, for whatever reason, was the boogeyman. You just have these teams that you don't necessarily do well against or for whatever reason, these places where it's very difficult to play. Uh, this is a tough one for me. I, I love the way Seattle is playing, but I think LA Galaxy is very unpredictable. I'm actually picking a draw on this one. Yeah, that's what I that's what I was gonna say. I was gonna say two two. As much as I want to see the Sounders win, I just I I like like when we played Portland a couple weeks ago and they came to Seattle, they were on this run where they just couldn't win, right? And it was something always has to change. And I hate that about soccer. And but that really does prove the best teams is when they can uh, find these ways to win against teams that are in a poor run of form and keep that going. So. I'll say 2-2. This will be a difficult one for the Sounders. Um, But if they can finish their 1-2 chances like they should have in Portland, then you're on the right side of a result. So who shows up that day will tell the uh, story. Perfect. That'll do it for us, Hurt. Can't thank you enough for joining us, man. You're welcome on any time, honestly. Love the conversations, man. Uh, A lot of fun, boys. Thanks for having me. I miss you guys. Yeah, we miss you too, man. We need you back up here, man. (laughs) All right, brother. Anytime.